All right. So you ready to do this? I'm ready. Let's do it. So today we're going to be reviewing the Senate baking hearing. Oh, I, I totally slaughtered that. Baking. <laughs> baking. Banking. Banking. Yeah. <laughs> banking. The Senate banking hearing with former SVP CEO Greg Becker. Uh, this is supposed to be a two-hour and 30-minute pot. Uh, or not pod, but it was a deposition for two hours and 31 minutes. We'll see how much actually makes the cut or if we end up skipping around a bit. Should be pretty good, I think. Gwen's never actually I have no seen, idea what I'm in for. <laughs> you've never even, yeah, you've never even been to a, a congressional deposition before, have you? No, no, I have not, no. So this is my first rodeo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'm happy to be here. It, it's a circus. You're gonna, it's you're a gonna, circus. Yeah. you're gonna see a lot of redundant questions, a lot of ego pumping, and a lot of like grandstanding, most hmm. likely, and people that will just be like, I don't know, I, you know, there's no way you could have saw this coming. Yeah, I wish we could have popcorn, but that would interfere with the pod. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would interfere Munching. with the crazy. Yeah. All right, let's get it started. All right, here we go. If your banks were on the verge of failure, you and other executives tried to cash out. SVP executives, including Mr. Becker in front of us today, dumped millions of dollars in company stock in the days leading up to the crash. Millions of dollars in company stock in the days leading up to the crash. We're paying out bonuses until literally hours before regulators seized your assets. To people in Ohio <laughs> around the country, this feels sickeningly familiar. Most of it. You know what he's saying? Um, that they are. That the CEO was okay. dumping stock, like hours before. Hours and weeks before uh, Silicon Valley Bank actually crashed. Right, that happened three, four weeks ago. Late March. Yeah. Oh yeah. Early April. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then they were paying out bonuses. They were like trying to like swipe the cash off the books before it, it got out that they were that they were under a bank run. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Americans' lack of Wall Street accountability tracks with their entire experience with our economy. Workers, workers face consequences. Executives ride off into the sunset. Only in corporate boardrooms can you run your business from the ground, take the whole economy along with you, and come out ahead. Can't let that happen again. Both your brand banks prioritized fast growth, but not risk management. Both of your banks pushed up your stock prices and your own executive compensation, but didn't address the glaring risks from, from company, from I'm sorry, from customer and industry concentration. When you put other people's money in our broader economy at risk, there must be accountability for that level of risk management. Running a bank, as you know or should know, running a bank isn't like running any other company. If you manage a car parts business or a steel company and run in as I spoke to some steel executives today, you run into the ground, you and the employees lose your jobs. The surrounding community may get hurt, but there usually aren't broader consequences to the savings accounts of families all around the country. Mm -hmm. With your jobs, other people's money is at stake. That's why we recognize that banking is different and why in return banks are subject to stricter rules or they're supposed to be. Our community is looking at ways to impose real accountability on those most to blame for big bank failures. 
This guy is like the groggiest voice ever. Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah. I just want to like, I want him to be like. <clears throat> he sounds like he was chain smoking before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God, lean further into the mic. So the chairman and then the like vice chairman, normally it's like a Republican and a Democrat, mm -hmm. get to make opening statements before everyone else does. Okay. They get like a, it's like a, it's like a prestige thing. And then typically then the CEO, Greg Becker, will get to make a state, a prepared remark statement. And then, um, then you get to go into like the firing line squad, which is just one by one. Every senator on the banking committee gets like two minutes or to fire shots, basically. Yeah, just to ask any questions they want yep. at the CEO. So that's what we're about to get into. It's about to get. It's about to get heated. <laughs> it's a little bit heated, yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> three major issues. Bank failures. First was bank mismanagement. Supervisory. Here, hold on. Let's. I I'm all for listening to them, but man, they give long speeches. It. This is what I was talking about for grandstanding. They do a lot of grandstanding. Look at them go. I mean. Oh yeah, that was like. It's the both of them talk for the first ten minutes. Yeah. Okay, so they're also going to interrogate Signature Bank. Signature Bank was the other bank that failed. Um, simultaneously. Simultaneously, it was out of New York. Mm -hmm. Bullshit. Somebody didn't want to go on the stand. Right, yeah. He, yeah. He, 
he paid big bucks for someone to be like, yeah. can you just say that I, I can't yeah. do it due to medical reasons? Right. People have also, done that all the time. The way that he's like talking about obviously like their their history and then making the eye contact, welcome. Like, welcome to your death, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're about to tear you a new one. Well, you always play like feeble or dumb when you go in front of Congress normally if you're like that's that's what a lot of like the banking and big tech people have always done. It's like, oh, I didn't know that any of that was going on. That doesn't sound like my company. Right. Yeah. Um, anyways. Instead of understanding the management decisions and signature, it's important for us to allow Mr. Pollock to deal with his health issues. Ranking member Scott and I agreed the committee would hear from the two of you instead. Uh, Mr. Becker, please begin your testimony. Most people have no clue that in 2023, the best way to make Chair Brown. Okay, a freaking ad. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. This is a uh, this is Greg Becker giving his testimony. Okay. My name is Greg Becker, and I was the chief executive officer of Silicon Valley Bank. As he just explained. I'm here today to answer your questions about what happened at SVB, to the best of my memory. <laughs> At the outset, I want to be clear that I never envisioned myself or SVB being in this situation. God, his head is shiny. I was an employee of SVB for nearly 30 years and CEO for the last 12 until it was taken over by the FDIC. I believed in the bank and its mission, and I cared deeply about our more than 8,000 employees and their families. <laughs> this is like basically like, please don't slaughter me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, have, I have a soul committed to our clients and helping them succeed, whether they were successful technology companies or small business founders in towns across the country. SVB was designed to meet the needs of the technology and life science industries, where startups and later stage companies could keep their deposits, borrow to expand their businesses, and create jobs. I'm sorry, but this just seems so scripted. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like emotional, like hearing him talk about it. Like, there's no emotion behind it. Oh, well, his lawyers prepared the remarks. Yeah. He he definitely didn't write it. Well, no, I'm, but I mean, like, he doesn't sound genuine when he's saying it either. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, I care deeply about my 8,000 yeah, yeah. employees. Like, it's very robotic. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to D.C., baby. <laughs> knew our clients personally, understood their needs and goals, and partnered with them as they grew. We took risk management seriously and worked closely with and were responsive to the various regulators who oversaw SVB. Over time, we built and expanded a team of subject matter experts focused on analyzing risks and protecting the bank. We continually sought to add operational expertise and experience to enhance our risk management as the bank and clients evolved. Much has been said about the takeover of SVB by the FDIC and why it happened. Ultimately, I believe that SVB's failure was brought about by a series of unprecedented events. Between 2015 and 2019, SVB grew from about 45 billion in assets to 71 billion in assets at an annual rate of about 10%. He seems very nervous. Mm -hmm. This changed in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the government stimulus measures. With near zero interest rates and the largest government-sponsored economic stimulus in history, more than five trillion of new deposits flooded 
the commercial banks. For every dollar he stole, he had to give up a single piece of hair from his forehead, from the, the top of his head. He's giving mega mine. Yeah. <laughs> to support this growth, SVB raised more than $8 billion of new capital in 2021. Importantly, throughout 2020 and late 2021, the messaging from the Federal Reserve was that interest rates would remain low that inflation that was starting to bubble up would only be transitory. During this time, SVB invested in low-risk, highly-rated government-backed securities. These securities were safe assets as they were backed by the U.S. government oh, shit. and could be used as collateral for borrowing the liquidity if SVB needed it. These fixed-income securities complemented our short-duration loan portfolio approximately which 90% was variable rate. In fact, other U.S. banks collectively invested nearly $2.3 of their securities portfolios in this low-yield environment created by the Federal Reserve. To account for changing market conditions, namely higher interest rates for longer, on March 8th, we sold SVB's available-for-sale securities portfolio in a planned capital raise. Unexpectedly, on the same day, Silvergate Bank announced its intent to voluntarily wind down and liquidate, and depositors triggered a bank run. Despite stark differences in our business models, news reports and investors wrongly lumped SVB and Silvergate together. Rumors and misconceptions quickly spread online, culminating on March 9th with the first ever social media bank run, leading to $42 billion in deposits being withdrawn wow. from SVB in 10 hours or roughly $1 million every second. Wow. Oh my God. Over two days, approximately 80% of total deposits were requested to be removed from SVB. To put the unprecedented velocity of this bank run in context, the previous largest bank run in US history was 19 billion in deposits over 16 days. In the face of these unprecedented events, the leadership team and I made the best decisions we could with the facts and forecasts available to us at the time in the best interest of SVB, to employees, and to clients. I worked at a place I truly loved, alongside our dedicated employees to support our clients who were innovating in astonishing ways. I believe that SVB had a positive impact on the roughly 100,000 companies we supported over multiple decades. The takeover of SVB has been personally and professionally devastating. And I'm truly sorry for how this has impacted SVB's employees, our clients, and our shareholders. And I hope that I can provide insights that will help this committee and the American public better understand what happened. Thank you. Uh, sorry, if you proceed, Mr. Shea, thank you. Chairman Brown, Ranking Member Scott, and members of the Thank you for the opportunity to be here to discuss Signature Bank and my role as chairman of the board. In 2000, I co-founded Signature Bank. God, who does he sound uh, like? The banking industry was experiencing many mergers, and many big banks were not serving the needs of general market customers. I felt that a mid-sized bank would provide an important commercial service to businesses that preferred a smaller, more personal banking experience. Signature Bank followed a single point of contact approach. 
which in which the bank's clients teams personally serve needs Does he have a toupee on? Our bank had a diverse group of clients, including industrial companies, commercial real estate firms, healthcare providers, professional service firms, nonprofits, and many others. We placed a priority on providing financing to affordable housing providers in low and moderate income areas, and did so for many years. Through the hard work and dedication of our employees, we nope, he just brushed his hair. That's real hair. <laughs> we're successful in a market bank. We were a solid and thriving bank that played an important role in our why are, why does his tie and shirt match exactly with Greg Becker? Here, I gotta skip forward a bit. For that reason, March twelfth. You are within twenty years of retirement. Good morning, Chairman Brown, Ranking Member Scott, and members of the committee. Assets and liabilities to another bank. I'm continuing to work hard for our clients. Growth may sound by every measure, but that would be support. We added Hold on. to ensure the clients happy to answer any questions. There we go. Uh, thank you, Mr. Hall. I have questions for all three of you. I assume the ranking member also, Mr. Becker. SVB experienced astounding growth from 19 from 2019 to 2021. Assets grew 198%, six times the median growth for comparable banks. When SVB was growing fast, did it ever occur to you that new deposits funding that rapid growth could leave the bank as quickly as they came in? Senator, when the growth was occurring, I think it's important to note that the, the growth was from existing clients. So yes, we added new clients, but it was mainly our existing clients were raising more substantial amounts of money. And so we built several things. One is we added to our liquidity, making sure that we had borrowing capacity so that we could support an outflow of deposits that would occur. But again, I think it's important to note that it was mainly from existing clients. Um, so you're saying they, they double counted their cash? Essentially, they put cash against their own cash. Like they yeah. put cash against cash that didn't really exist. That wasn't actually there. Yeah. Right? By every measure, you, by every measure, that kind of growth may sound good to Wall Street, but for most bank managers, it means more risk factors to keep track of. Mm -hmm. When your bank failed, it had thirty-one unresolved matters requiring attention. The Fed's term. 31 huge red flags identified by regulators. They could safe to say rapid growth was not because Silicon Valley Bank was six times better than other banks. Uh, Mr. Howell, once you started new business lines, it was important to show investors that Signature Bank could still be profitable. Is that right? Profitability was really something that we always looked at. It seems like big losses in a struggling stock price motivated management to jumpstart profits and boost the stock price. In doing so, it, you just didn't seem to care about about um, increasing obvious risks. Um, Mr. Becker, your version of events blames SVB's failure on too many interest rate hikes, a social media driven bank run, the closure of the much smaller Silvergate Bank, and the regulators were being slow to highlight its longstanding problems. It sounds a lot like the dog ate my homework. Your explanations <laughs> ignore that your bank was without a chief compliant officer for the better part of a year. I don't think that was in your testimony. Oof. While you watched deposits leave and losses on long-term investment securities began to pile up, your 
version on that leaves out that you only tried to fix things when you were told that SBB was going to be downgraded. Is there any other explanation that you just wouldn't make any effort to fix the growing problems because it would have cut into earnings? <laughs> Chair Brown, we took risk management seriously and we both were proactive in risk management and also were responsive to the regulatory feedback. And I think in the GAO report, it outlined the responsiveness that we had. And I think um, if you have an opportunity to talk to regulators that were directly involved, I think they would share that point of view. Regarding the chief risk officer, if I may add to that answer, um, we decided, the board and I, along with feedback from the regulators, that we were gonna look for um, even more experienced CRO. And in my experience, it takes six to nine months to find the best person for a role. We did two things to make no, sure doesn't. that we had coverage while we were looking for a chief risk officer. First, we created an office of a CRO with the leadership team reporting to me and reporting to the chair of our risk committee. Secondly, we kept our chief risk officer on board as a consultant through October 1 to make sure there were no gaps during that period of time. Uh, Mr. Shea, I, I, one of Signature um, Bank's fatal flaws was a concentrated depositor base that made it, made it. Here's the thing about hiring a consultant is they're yes men. Like you're paying that, you're paying them to consult you. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. Right. Like, and they're going to be a lot more lenient around that. So hiring a consultant to sit in as the CRO is like basically an easy way to flaunt a lot of the rules. Right. Like he, and essentially he was like, well, I'm going to make sure that whatever, whatever happens goes through me first. Like he, he was the last one to make the final decision, even though. Yeah. I, I don't know why any of it takes six to nine months. That's crazy to me. Yeah. That doesn't make much sense. That. Sounds like a a, a, a cover-up yeah. for something. Yeah. Susceptible to a bank run. FDIC and New York banking regulators identified this as a problem. Signature Bank management assured them the bank's relationships and dedicated customer service would make customers less likely to flee. In the end, you bet on the hope that customers really, really valued that relationship, ignoring common sense risk management. Bank ended up with an extraordinary level of client concentration. The numbers, frankly, are hard to believe. 60 clients held 40% of total deposits, four depositors accounting for 14% of total deposits. Did you need that kind of concentration to make quick profits, Mr. Shea? The bank took steps to offset and ameliorate the concentration of high of, of uh, uninsured depositors. The bank set aside uh, an internal allocation of... I know, what's with his voice? In order to, in order to provide an internal collateral... Oh, God. He seems super tense. Like, he, he like, isn't breathing. I, I mean, this is, like, the nicest way, like, not stereotypical, but he's just so Jewish. Like, oh, God. Like, you oh, know, like... No. Yeah, the Jewish bank... Like, the Jewish banker, like, stereotype. Yeah. Tried, the bank endeavored to diversify its deposit portfolio mix and maintain liquidity availability to offset those uh, higher concentrations of assets. Thank you, Senator Scott. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ms. Baker, you said you took risk management seriously. It's, it's hard to 
believe that comment as it relates to the uniqueness of your bank. Your bank had about 90% of its deposits uninsured. That's crazy. Seriously, as you grow from 50 billion to over 200 billion in a very short period of time, this guy who ran a couple of businesses that went from zero to several thousand clients, the one thing I had to do was figure out how to get out of my business so I could work on my business. Because when you're, when you're the CEO, you're working in the business. It's very challenging to see your own blind spots. You actually need a board and the ability to step out of your role and look on your overall organization to come to a conclusion. Where is the risk? And when your bank is such an anomaly in an industry where 90 plus percent of your deposits were uninsured, how did you, how did you see that risk and then not respond to it? When you're a $50 billion bank, you don't have to worry about the stress test. When you get to $200 billion, you should be constantly aware mm-hmm. of what a stress test looks like and how do you pass that test. And so it's hard for me to appreciate that you're taking risk seriously when, in fact, the anomaly itself should have triggered a different type of stress test in your own mind, in your board's perspective as well. Walk me through. He hasn't asked a single question yet. Core to what our nation has experienced in now having serious doubts about our banking by the way, I, I actually prefer the Senate over the over the House because the Senate typically they they're a lot more like relaxed, but they know a lot. They typically know a lot more. They call it, that's why they call it the Senate the Country Club. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more like cordial, more relaxed, and yeah. it's yeah, it's not so much a circus show. Senator, if I can make a, a few points, one is on the level of uninsured deposits. Uh, I've been at the bank or was at the bank for 30 years. And in my history, our clients have always had substantial amounts of cash. It's just the profile. So it's not something that happened in the last three years, four years, or five years. It's, it's always been that way. So we've, we tended to have, and I think the ratings that were given to us by the regulators would show that, that we had substantial amounts of liquidity. That's, that's good. Let me ask you this question. If you look back 20 years ago, what was the uninsured deposits 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Senator, to my, to my recollection, the deposits were always, uninsured deposits were always roughly between 85 and 90% of our balance sheet. And the growth from 50 billion to 200 billion with that level of uninsured deposits did not trigger or something could be different uh, at all? Let me, let me, let me add. Yeah, he, he needs to ask a better question here. He, he needs to ask, even though that was the past precedent, why did you think it was still okay to go forward like that? With that sub, sub, substantial, substantial amount of risk. Amount, yeah. But also, wait, so I'm trying to understand. So, gosh, what was his name? Megamind. I don't know. I'm oh, Becker. Yeah. So Becker is saying that his customers, there's there's a higher amount of liquidity because his customers are already like financially like more rich, I guess. I don't know. No, um, what he's what he's saying is so what they're arguing about is uh, 90% of deposits were uninsured by the FDIC. So FDIC 
insures up to $250,000 in a bank account. Anything above that amount is like fair game, like to be stolen, like if it's stolen, like lost, whatever, you know, you're shit out of luck. Right. Um, what he's saying is that the bank has always operated that way, where most of their depositors were uninsured, were basically completely uninsured by, by the FDIC. Um, what now Scott is trying to ask is, or at least I, I hope this is what he's about to ask. What you're thinking he's about to ask. Yeah, right? is just because that was the past precedent, why does that make it okay going forward? With the amount being so, like, large. So high yeah. and so risky, mm. especially in the kind of industry that they were in, which was startups. Mm -hmm. So most of their depositors were startups. Startups have, like, a 90% fail rate. So... Uh, why wouldn't they ever think that, like, you know, they needed to take extra precaution to protect them in loaning, right? Yeah, right. Additional money. Okay. Let's do it. So, uh, one of the things we have to do is learn to look outside of our industries for the anomalies that we may see within our industries. When you see uh, Reddit and GameStop having have a fluctuation that leads to massive increase in value and then precipitous spot. Uh, looking around the world, of technology and seeing. Nope. He completely happen, missed what I wanted him to ask. Mr. Senator, I, I think about it a couple different ways. One is our capital levels, and then our liquidity levels, and then just the advice and the expertise that we bring on board from, from other areas that would be on the board, that would be on uh, additional management team members, and then finally, kind of the last line of defense I would think about it would be the regulators. And so when I looked at the capital, and we included that in the written testimony, our capital levels, and I think there's questions about capital, and I don't have any questions about capital as it relates to, to what happened. I have questions about liquidity because capital really wasn't the challenge that you faced. You had a, you had a concern and an issue that, of course, manifested itself in liquidity risk because of 10 consistently increasing interest rates, hikes, that made your liquidity crunch a real challenge. So look at it from just a liquidity perspective. Yeah. So to, to address that, I'm just going to speak from 2021 all the way to the end of 2022. We increased the liquidity, and as I think about it, it's both the cash that you have and your borrowing capacity, 300%. So at the end of the year, we have borrowing capacity of $69 billion. Yeah, but if it's like you got in going from like 300%, you could just be going from like one, the number one to three. I went from $1 to $3. Right. You know what I mean? Like just because we increased 300% doesn't mean that that's adequately covering the risk. Yeah. Yeah. The, he's playing a trick. He's trying to play a trick here. Mm -hmm. Plus the cash that we had, you basically had liquidity of roughly $80 billion at the end of the year. And so again, as we looked at liquidity overall, relative to the size of bank we were, we certainly felt that we had ample liquidity and were able to, even with the fastest bank. They need to just elect me to the Senate. Because what, what needs to be asked is like, well, or... They, they should bring up the benchmark of like where their their peers were for a standard regional bank and then go, why did you think that that level of liquidity that, that you held was adequate versus your peers? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bank run in history, 41 of the $42 billion deposit outflows that day, that Thursday, were covered by SVB. And we could have handled even more. We were moving collateral from... Federal Home Loan Bank to the Federal Reserve. The, the ability to 
recover that amount of liquidity, that amount of outflow, we certainly felt showed that we had ample liquidity. It's an unprecedented event, the fastest bank run in history. From our standpoint, that was the anomaly. Thanks, sir. Scott, Senator Warner, Virginia's recognized. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I know. I know. Oh, I know. I know uh, Senator Scott Warner. You know him? Yeah. From a couple of boards, like I've met him before. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I <laughs> I like Senator I Warner. With that question, but I do think this um, forty-two million in six hours, uh, and how that was spurred on by the internet, and frankly. Some folks the night before merits some further consideration. But I do want to really thank you for holding this hearing today. Um, I know that the committee's pushing forward in this analysis of what went wrong at these banks and what regulators in Congress need to do to make sure we don't do it again. I know we'll get the chance to see the regulators um, later this week. So today I would just want to say a few things about the man. But what's up with him also wearing the same tie as? As these other two bankers, oh, yeah, I know they're all wearing the same tie. What the hell's going on? the board oversight. As a former business owner, I feel very deeply that management of complex growing organizations is a twenty-four-seven three. His glasses make him look like he has googly eyes. <laughs> he's giving. He's giving bubbles. Yeah, from, bubbles from, from uh, trailer park. Trailer park boys. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> he used to serve on the committee for. Uh, uh, for intelligence, I think, and uh, this is a new appointment for him, which makes sense. He, he, yeah, he was on he was on several boards, including I think the board uh, board for telecommunications. It was back in like the early two thousands. Anyways, beyond sixty five day a year exercise, and I think the responsibility to employees and the public means that you don't let let up when dealing with uh, the risk, and that means staying on top of your organizations. Trying to make sure we always look around the corner about what's happening. Um, later this week, we'll obviously have a chance to look into supervision. However, the further we get into these postmortems, it feels to me, and people may have already raised this, that there was a failure, unfortunately, both institutions and banking 101. Um, in many ways, whether you all had been the size of the institutions or I just came from some more community banks in Virginia, you've been institutions of $5 billion. There should have been warning signs on interest rate mismanagement. Um, truth is as well, both of your models, and, I, and I'm familiar with both of your models, uh, had this really fast growth strategy and clearly took on the question about the number of, and volume of uninsured deposits. Uh, and when we've got a changing risk interest rate environment, I would have thought that would have sent off some, some warning signs. And I know probably going to get asked lots of questions from lots of members on a variety of topics. I guess I want to focus my questions on governance and the role of boards in both of your institutions. Um, this is the problem with senators. They just like, they blather on. They, it's a lot of grandstanding and talking down to, to the CEOs and not a lot of actual questions that actually happen. Like they just don't, they don't know how to think about asking like the correct questions that actually like really, Figure out how the CEOs. Yeah, they don't up. like dial in. No, they don't. Yeah, it's all about it's all about. Well, I was I well, ran I businesses. Yeah, right. I know this, and I know what is supposed to be done. Right. But then they don't say. Yeah. Then they don't ask any real questions. Right. Yeah, they get lost. The Fed report, I think, found Mr. Becker uh, at SVB. The Fed reported that growth far outpaced the abilities of the board 
in senior management. They failed to establish a risk management control infrastructure uh, for the size and complexity of your institution, both when you were even smaller and then as you experienced this dramatic growth. The FDIC's report on signatures states that the management's primary focus on growth deposits and profits took um, priority over responsibility to ensure sound risk management and responsiveness to supervisory recommendations. Um, I'm not probably going to get through all my questions since I see I'm down to two minutes, so I'm going to submit them for the record. Uh, I'd like to hear from all of you about how were your boards structured, and um, particularly as you had very pro-growth structured um, business models, how are the boards involved? And as you started to get these indications, stupid question, stupid, stupid question. Out of whack, how did your boards respond? And Greg, we'll start with you, and I guess we're done. Terrible. <laughs> CEO for 12 years and, and the entire time I would say we had a very active and engaged uh, board of directors uh, we had my god that's a very opinionated question yeah well also too like it's such a softball question like how are your boards involved why would any of these CEOs answer my board was super involved and you know they they did the utmost to stop the banks from failing that's what like, I'm saying like it's yeah. it's there's no that I mean yeah that was a terrible question <laughs> I agree <laughs> like huh yeah because they're not gonna they're not gonna say that they weren't involved no why would they so then that's just that's just a waste of time honestly no and and that's what most of these congressional hearings turn into is it's just like this huge fucking waste of time the set the Congress like feels smart they they seem they look like they might be smart people, and then they open their mouths, and and you go, like, oh, "Oh, this guy knows nothing." Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well. Uh, although I, I, I want to give Warner the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he, yeah, he says some pretty stupid stuff in the last couple of years, but um, from following his career and knowing who he was, he he's had he's known his stuff. All right, where are we at? We're at thirty-eight minutes into this fucking pod. Um, I don't necessarily want to listen to the rest of these, this two hour congressional hearing, because this is what, it just gets, it gets boring and jokey. Um, I mean, do you want to skip to the end to see like what, <laughs> how, how the movie ends? Yeah. No, it doesn't end well. Oh, do you already know? Well, I don't know, but I just know, I, it's not like a movie. They're not, they're not going to resolve anything I here. Know it's it's not, just going to be. Yeah. <laughs> You're hoping like they slip up later into the hearing. These hearings are just like agonizing to listen to and sit sit in. Um, it's it's super odd. It's a really it's a really weird thing. Yeah, I mean, they're. Yeah. It's annoying because they're not asking the questions of like what we want to ask. Yeah. <laughs> of what actually isn't fucking important. Right. How is your board involved? Like, that's such a dumb question. Right. Ugh. Yeah, I don't know. All right, so I guess what's your final opinion on... On this? Mm -hmm. uh, they completely fucked up both... Well, the CEO is all fucked up. Greg Becker fucked up. The, they, they shouldn't have 
leveraged their their banks in the way that they did and just because it was past precedent doesn't mean that it was okay to do what they did also too i mean i don't know congress is a joke senators don't know i mean the senators know more than the house if if you looked at what the house would have asked it would it would have been even stupider than that somehow the guy thought that reddit i know what he was talking about he said reddit and gamestop skyrocketed Reddit never skyrocketed. He's thinking about Wall Street bets on Reddit propelled GameStop and AMC supposedly to to uh, short squeeze into into the hundreds of dollars. But it's not even equivocal of what happens with banks because, like, for a stock to squeeze like that, um, it's just it's just the potential share. It's not even the potential shareholders. It's it's the potential shorts that that uh, end up losing a bunch of money but um with banks it's it's the actual people that loan from the bank that that lose money and it has a wider uh, community impact and that's a really serious problem i'm like 90 percent uninsured yeah crazy that's terrifying well the problem is too is it it's like it's it's big it, well they're not big businesses but they're businesses that drew a lot of money Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would have a wider impact on the economy. I mean, we we're talking about like one of the people that banked at SVB, I think was Taylor stitch, which is a, a large clothing company. Um, well, they mentioned about like a steel company. Yeah. Well, what they were saying, he was trying to give it a, uh, an analogy, which is essentially if a steel if a steel mill fails, it's just the 8,000 workers at the steel mill that lose their job, right? It's not, it doesn't typically affect the community. It's not super widespread. The problem is that when a bank fails, all the businesses that are, that are loaning from the bank also normally end up failing as well. Right. So instead of just like the bank's 8,000 employees losing their jobs, it's the 8,000 employees plus the 10,000 employees at this company that, that, the company was getting loans from the bank from and this company and that company. Right. So all of a sudden it's this huge systemic like risk. Like a huge monopoly. Yeah. Effect. Yeah. That like. Or domino. Upends the yeah. entire thing. Right. Yeah. So if the FDIC didn't come in and stop everything and like ensure the entire thing, then, um, you know, it would have been catastrophic. Right. Yeah. Um, and part of that issue is that. So the debt ceiling is coming up hasn't been raised yet it's supposed to be raised it's it's very similar to uh how 2011 was where it wasn't there was a lot of like impasses and and stalemates where where they couldn't get the debt ceiling raised through so uh the tga the treasury general like account has a certain amount of money that they can like loan out and provide liquidity to markets for and so the debt ceiling has so TGA can borrow against the debt ceiling and they can then fund liquidity, right? They can, they can borrow, they can essentially keep, keep borrowing and providing like necessary services out to, out to markets. So uh, if FD, if another bank was to fail and the FDIC needed to step in, there wouldn't be enough money mm. to, to stop like a huge systemic risk. It, yeah. yeah. So that's what's ongoing right now is like, is there something out there in the water that we don't know about? Yeah. Yeah. It's super risky. And it 
It, this is the Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. Yeah, silicone. Silicon. Silicon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I hope everyone listening to this is just <laughs> laughing at me. Oh my god, god. this went so dumb. <laughs> You're not dumb. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening with me. It's been great. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it's kind of frustrating because there was nothing like substantial that happened. Yeah, nothing resolved. No, like I didn't really feel like the pressure. Right. Like I mean, they the the CEOs they seemed like nervous and you know trying to stay on their p's and q's. Right. But. Yeah. You they you wanted some justice. They weren't asking any like really deep questions to to like catch them in a corner or anything. Remember when we were watching Veep and they were in front of Congress, the congressional hearing? Yeah. And they were like answering into the mic and like people were asking like ridiculous questions that were completely unrelated. Yeah. That's what this is. That's all they were doing was writing a satire to it. Yeah. Um and it's super realistic because that's what happens. Right, yeah. All the in all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it sucks that our first podcast didn't work out. People don't get to hear that uh, all the nice things I said about you. <laughs> That's okay. I'll keep it for myself. Yeah. yeah. Well, you even said, you were like, is this just for us? <laughs> I was like, well, the second half is inaudible, so I guess it is. Uh, I mean, yeah, a little bit. I, I guess something happened with our mics. Us just being old. Yeah, us just being old and straying away from the mics that are <laughs> strapped to our bodies. Somehow we stray away from them. Yeah. Well, and I kept moving my my phone around that I was trying to record on, and it got really scratchy at the end there. So. Yeah, we're just old and. Yeah. What do you think of the Substack? Did you get a chance to read the Substack today? Um, I read about half of it. Uh, sorry, I was no, you're okay. with other people today, but. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I read through half of it. From what I read, um, you know, you're you're talking about how people ponder on these like what ifs and um, making this a decision, and then ultimately it like further like stresses you out. That's about as far as I got. Yeah, that's that's what I in in terms. You're gonna like the second half because it's about the Big Lebowski. So. Big Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we can even talk about uh, Substack from the other day with the dream and stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 Let's do it. I mean, what, well, okay. So what did you think? Um, I thought it was really, you know, I don't know. I kind of feel like I have a biased opinion when reading your, <laughs> your Substack because I know, I, I know you, like, personally. Um, Thank God. <laughs> Um, I think the way that you write uh, um, brings out a lot of emotion. Um, and, and yeah, like the way that you explained, you know, having that nightmare and having to basically like relive it three times, like it just wasn't going away. Right. Um, and it being like a real fear that you have, you know, shows that you're not just like this, <laughs> this old angry wizard like you <laughs> you've got some 
emotions and feelings like tied to you yeah um but then like also reading reading through it, it was like you know you you have like fear is a is a natural emotion to have and i think a lot of people um try to like sweep it under the rug or hide that they don't really have fear right and then like i liked when you mentioned when when we dream it's you know it's it's our fears it's our likes it's it's everything about us um unfiltered right and i mean because i don't know about you but you know coming across people and in real life like you meet them and you're like oh this is a cool person and then like two two three years down the road they're completely like a different person because they let their guard up and they Mm. they're no longer filtered and you realize oh like either I really like this person, you grow to really, really like them, or you grow to be like, mm, I don't really want to like be be around them, sort of thing. So just tying back to your Substack, I think that you know, um, you you're you're showing vulnerability that you have these fears, um, and that it's okay to have fears, and you know, by I guess accepting your fears, you can you can learn to like control it. Yeah, I think it's weird being an adult because I think when you're when you're growing up, there's like this unspoken assumption that when you get older, all of a sudden the fears will go away, or that you know somehow being older makes you more secure and confident. And like in a lot of ways, I think it does. In certain ways, it, it definitely does. But I think there's a lot of things that, you know, still scare you the same way that they did when you were a child. And yeah. I think that we don't talk about that enough, that, you know, to be that open about, hey, there's things that still scare me. Um, and I don't have the answers for everything. But, you know, I think I need to be open about that. And I need to be open about it with myself especially like if my dreams are trying to tell me something that you know i need to take it very seriously because it's some it's some way that that you know i'm not addressing uh what my full potential could be Mm -hmm. right i can make myself better by figuring out what my fears are and what what causes me anxiety what causes me anger um right and being accepting of it yeah so yeah that's that's pretty I mean, much I kind of think of like what what you just said as a kid you have fears and as an adult they don't really go away they just essentially like they can become bigger if you don't face them right and so I don't know my mind went to as a kid you could be scared of like a robber breaking into your house obviously that's a big fear that anyone mm-hmm. could have as a kid you know, a robber breaking into your house, your parents are there to protect you. But as an adult, you protect You're the yourself. one swinging the bat. Right, yeah. you're the adult. You have to take care of it. And so that's scary to think about. Right. Um, especially the older you get, how can I defend myself? Yeah. I'm kind of, you know... And you realize you're just a much larger kid. Yeah. In a way. In a way, yeah. 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 And then you think about, God, is this what my parents felt? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. If if we were to hear, you know, the doorknob wiggling at night, like, 
It's me. It's me going. <laughs> it's you going. Winding up the whiz arm. But also, like. To knock him out. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, well, I have the kids to take care of. Like, obviously, take care of the kids first and then, you know, take right. care of yourself. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, the the fear kind of grows. It definitely does. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. And then, like, going, trying to relate back to your substack, like, you have to kind of look that fear and fear in the eye, like in the face and be like, I, I'm scared of this, but I can make it like, okay. And I can understand it. But like, I guess in a sense with, with that fear in specific, like, I guess the way to best prepare for it is, you know, make sure you're armed, make sure that you have like the proper, like security at your house and things like that. Yeah, just see what you can control. Yeah. Figure out what's within your control and yeah. and be okay with that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Learn something today. Learn something today. Learn, <laughs> <laughs> Learn that you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> Learn that you were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so funny. Yeah. So I don't know. I I I really enjoy reading your subscripts, but when you subsax subsax Jesus. <laughs> you um, always call them subscripts. I don't know why, because I, it's like you're scripting because you're you're writing. I yeah. don't know. It's substack. Stack. Stack. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I always feel like I have a biased opinion when you when you ask for my opinion because <laughs> I know who you are, but um, I get a lot of joy out of reading them and. You know, trying to gauge where you are emotionally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because even, you know, the morning that you wrote the Substack on the fears, you had mentioned to me that, you know, you had a nightmare. And I I later then apologized that I I felt like I didn't give you, you know, the emotional support that you were looking for that morning. I I believe we had a very busy morning that morning. Um, Yeah. But then, like, reading it back, like, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, you, you know, you opened up to me, and I tried to do in that moment what I could to, to like, reassure you that, that it's going to be okay. Um, yeah, but then, like, reading that, it made me emotional because um, even though you're a 700-year-old wizard, you, you have <laughs> the normal human emotions that... Um, not a lot of people like open up about, you know, I think that shows like vulnerability and like, yeah, I mean, my, my whole thought has always been that, um, it's a stronger form of masculinity to be able to open and master your own emotions, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to say, yeah, that's what I am. I mean, I am human. I mean, yeah, since the beginning, or a wizard, once like when we met years ago, um, you, you always like, showed like who you were truthfully and like you let the emotions come as they came. Right. And I feel even like in today's society, it's like frowned upon for men to open up about how they're actually feeling. Yeah. And that's not okay. No, no. And it, it, yeah. So I'm glad that, you know, you're, you're teaching our kids too, that it's okay to, be emotional and to allow yourself to feel the feelings because 
it becomes heavier the older you get. Yeah, it does. I, I think I tried to talk about that a little bit in, in the Substack too, was that if you don't realize when it happens that you start building up that resentment against yourself, mm-hmm. it, it like snowballs and you have to, you know, check well, I in. Mean, it kind of goes into the whole saying of like bullies, right? Mm-hmm. Bullies tend to pick on who they view as weaker because they're in a way projecting because that's how they feel about themselves. Right. And so, you know, if we're, we're taught, um, that we can, we can be open about how we feel and, and, you know, not so much like suppress our feelings and emotions, then there would essentially be less bullies in the world. Right. That's just my opinion. (laughs) But it'd be a more perfect world. And everyone it would, would be, be such happy. a perfect world, and everyone would be friends, and everyone would get along. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Such a hopeless romantic. I'm. I mean, I want the world to be a happy place. Yeah. Especially, you know, having kids and things like you. You want. You want your kids to like live in a happy world, and right now the world's a very scary place. I think it's always been scary, though. Yeah. Obviously, the older you get, the more you realize that. But I think that... I mean, that's the whole point of no country for old men. Yeah. 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 But, you know, whatever nostalgia you thought there was, it's not actually true. It's always been just it's as... It's always been there. Just as cruel and gruesome. And nature is, you know, it takes away and it's brutal. And it's... It, it might have even been even more brutal to have lived back then versus now. Actually, arguably, it definitely is. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. So, all right. We got things to do, girl. Yeah, we do. <sighs> Boy. All right. How do, we, <laughs> how do we end a podcast? I don't know. We just high five it. All right. <laughs> Great job.